This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and uh, let me just check my watch here. Yep, looks like it's time to talk about internet access in Door County again. It is my favorite topic to discuss on the podcast, as many of you know. Uh, but this week, actually, Deb Fitzgerald is going to take the reins uh, and she has an interview coming up here shortly with... Kurt Kiefer, the Assistant State Superintendent at the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction, and he is a member of Governor Evers' Task Force on Broadband Access. So the two of them sat down to chat about that task force and what sort of meaningful progress they are hoping to make in this issue, as well as just a couple of spitballed solutions that that might be appropriate in a place like Door County based on things that they have seen elsewhere in the state and the country. So without further ado, let's jump into that interview. I hope you enjoy it and I will chat with you on Friday. So then Kurt, you are um your official position is assistant state superintendent at the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And so you're also serving as uh, one of the 24 uh members on Governor Tony um Evers task force on broadband access. And that yeah. was created in July. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit first about your position? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the Department of Public Instruction is the state education agency, which oversees K-12 education across the state and all 425 school districts uh, within the state. Um, and it also is, and this is a less known fact, it also serves as the state library agency. Hmm. Uh, which oversees the 16 library systems and regional systems and the 385 uh, public libraries in the state. And my uh, the department itself has five divisions, and one of the divisions is the division that I oversee as an as an assistant state superintendent. And my division is the division of libraries and technology. Hmm. So as I mentioned, the state library agency function is actually in my division. So. We, my division functions as that agency, the state library agency working with the libraries. But the other part of my job is the technology job. And that's um, also then serving as the chief information agent, uh, chief information officer for the agency, for DPI. So just running the tech part of the agency itself, the 550 or 60, you know, 50 people agency. Hmm. but also then providing technology assistance and guidance across the state for both schools and libraries. Okay. So we work uh, work on both sides of, of schools and libraries from a technology perspective. So then you really have a nice, broad overview of technology at all of our school systems across the state? And our libraries. Yep. And the libraries. Oh. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, did, is that, so that's the particular expertise that you're bringing to this uh, task force? I believe that was what the governor was probably looking at when he appointed me. Um, Clear, the governor appointed me to the position that I currently have at the Department of Public Instruction back in September of 2010 when he was the then state superintendent of public instruction. Okay. And so I worked directly for um, uh, Dr. Evers when he was state superintendent for a period of eight years before he was uh, elected governor. Okay. So is this a position on this task force that you sought? I didn't, I mean, I guess I wouldn't say that I actively 
thought it. Okay. I did actively, I did actively encourage the establishment of the task force. Oh. Okay. If that led to me being appointed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. If you suggest to do something, then you're the it's, one who's going to have to do it. Be careful what you ask for. Exactly. Right. That, right. That kind of thing. Yeah. So, so tell yeah. me, why did you, um, why did you encourage the, uh, the creation of this task force? Well, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty clear that, um, you know, irrespective of uh, a public health crisis across the state that re- that really has come to rely on technology so so uh, much. It still was pretty obvious that we hadn't yet completely finished um, closing the last mile uh, problems that we have in terms of serving all uh, residences and businesses across the state. And so um, having uh, a task force that could bring a variety of different perspectives together, including the the stakeholders that that are the Internet service providers themselves, as well as um, some of the other end user communities, if you will, into one group that can actually um, more strategically think out, well, what what are the remaining underlying problems? Where do they exist? What are some solutions that exist? And what are some innovative ways that other, other places have tried to solve those problems, even within Wisconsin, frankly, not even having to look outside of our borders, um, mm-hmm. is uh, was really important to be able to kind of bring different insights to bear on what's what's left and how do we get this thing fixed once and for all. So, um, but then, as I said, with the with the current public health crisis that's underway, it's even obviously more important and laying bare even more the stark equity, you know, kinds of gaps that exist um, in our rural communities, in uh, communities that are economically challenged, um, and of which sometimes those are the same. Um, and so bringing, bringing folks together to really say, how can we finally fix this thing once and for all is absolutely critical. Okay. From your viewpoint um, in, in knowing what's going on with technology at school districts and libraries across the state, can you give us a summary of, of generally how you see technology and um, the accessibility of most of the school districts? Well, I can, what I can tell you is that um, prior to the pandemic, uh, um, that led to so many um, places closing down and, and moving to a remote environment. Mm-hmm. Our estimate on the school side, because we do a um, a uh, an annual survey of the, uh, the the tech folks within school districts, our estimate at that point, when we asked them um, what what proportion of your kids don't have access, um, and that was based in the fall of nineteen, that number was probably around the fifteen percent figure okay. or. If you multiply that out, it's really about 130, 135,000 kids across the state. So that's a big number. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't done any formal polling of them, although we were certainly working on uh, a more systematic calcul- you know, collection of that kind of information right now. And it's just underway. We've just gotten underway with it. Okay. But um, an informal kind of polling uh, after um, folks were sent home. And as school districts were trying to figure out how to make sure that those 15% were connected, they believed that they were able to successfully connect about um, uh, all, all but 5% of okay. the students. But again, that, that number, when you multiply that number out, it's 40,000 kids. So it's, right. it's still a big number. So they had to, again, try to figure out how to, how to continue education in a non-technology-enabled way, and that included uh, picking up materials, delivering materials, things like that, making phone calls. Right. Mm-hmm. That was another right. important part of connecting to that last last group. But we all know that that we we want all kids in school if we can get them there. But we need them there in a safe way. And mm-hmm. until we can do that in a 
safe way. We need to also provide learning experiences for them. And they have to be technology enabled right now. Um, it's, uh, it's no longer just a, we used to call it the homework gap. We're now calling it literally the learning gap. Okay. So we've got to get them connected. We have to get them connected. And we will. We will. I know we will. Okay. And so then that 15% um, for the polling from 2019, that actually turned out to be pretty accurate in terms of what school districts thought uh, their students had in terms of accessibility? Yeah, it really, it, it, you know, again, it's based on what they assumed they, you know, had. And yeah, those right. assumptions were brought to bear. So. And again, I have to say, Deborah, it was heroic, nothing short of heroic what these folks did across the state to make Mm. sure those kids were connected. Mm -hmm. And it's not, and it it was the combined heroic actions of the folks in the school district, the, the, the tech staff, the administration, the teachers, combined with the parents and the providers of technology. So a lot of them stepped up and did what they could to make sure they could get you know, get devices to them, mm-hmm. get hotspots to them, get these kids connected. And they did. Um, and so if we we can do it during a pandemic, we can do it forever. And right. that's our goal is to do it forever. And so were you able to isolate some of the school districts that uh, struggled more than others to actually make this connection? Yeah, I think the the the, the rule of thumb on that is those who still have no access are the ones that are still just not, I mean, the the technology just hasn't extended to them. Mm -hmm. And so rural, sparsely populated, and, uh, you know, um, topologically, right, topographically challenged places that have hills and valleys and lots of obstruction, uh, obstructed views and things like those are the things that continue to be the problem. And then, again, it's, these are problems, but these are still problems that can be solved. We can we can figure this out because we know that they've done it in other parts parts of the state and in other states too. So okay, so you basically we just have to, we just have to sh- go ahead. No, go ahead, finish. We just need to to share those best ideas and those innovative practices and um, thinking out of the box ways of doing that to say, oh yeah, we can do that here too. But this is what we have to do to coalesce around that solution. Now here's how we get that done. Okay. So now you basically just described Door County when you were talking about the challenges yeah. uh, in terms sure. of uh, accessibility. Now, I understand that you have a place up here or you're moving up here? Yeah. Well, my wife and I are property owners in the town, in, in Bailey Harbor, literally in the in the village itself. Okay. So, All right. Yep. And what has your experience been in terms of uh, uh, broadband access here? Well, um, when we do our visit, um, we, uh, I would say we um, have adequate access at times when we're staying at some of the locations we're staying. Um, and uh, I feel mightily for the, for those, um, those proprietors because they desperately want um, to have the best service possible for their customers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, for one, have been up there yet this summer, um, I admit, um, uh, being uh, very responsible as a as a, a, a folk, folks coming up there, mm-hmm. um, wanting to heed the heed all the warnings of the the health department. Right. Uh, we take it very seriously. Um, we're at that vulnerable age, they say. I don't know how <laughs> I got there that this fast, but I'm there. <laughs> and um, but uh, I also know that um, uh, one morning when I tried to start up things so I could spend my day working in that location, it was it wasn't available. Mm. And it it happened 
it happens. And um, that kind of quality has to be improved. And we know that, um, frankly, you know, we kind of hope to make that a, our place forever um, mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future, at least in the not too distant future. Mm -hmm. And we know that there are a whole bunch of other folks who aren't at our vulnerable age yeah. <laughs> that would like to relocate to a beautiful place like Door County because of the quality of the schools and the library and the infrastructure from a, a social perspective um, and, and the quality of life. But they need to be able to have access, high quality, high speed broadband um, access. And so, um, so yeah, one of our goals is to try to make sure that we help, uh, help improve that situation there, uh, in the future. Okay. One of the challenges, um, that, that, that I found actually after I moved up here was trying to find out exactly what is available. Um, there are maps that the, um, state has available, the broadband office has available, but because of the way that they draw those maps in terms of accessibility, you know, if one person in a census block has access, then the whole census block is deemed to have access. So it seems like that uh, then allows these large gaps where we really don't know what actually is available. Is the task force going to be working on um, producing more reliable maps so that we at least can really pinpoint the problem areas? Yeah, you know, I can't speak for what the task force will do because I only one person out of a couple dozen of us. Sure. But I do, I do hope that one of the topics we take up is, is I'll just call it data. Okay. And I think one of the pieces of the puzzle here is to have better information for everybody, mm -hmm. whether it's a business or a resident or, a, or providers, frankly, or, or the public, um, you know, our government partners and what have you. You just need better data to understand and assess the current state of where we're going, of where we are, and to have data to help us plan where we need to go. Right. And so I can speak to this much. I can speak to what we're doing as um, the state education agency, state library agency, and that is we are embarking on trying to do a much better, a much more rigorous job of identifying where where folks have access and where they don't. Mm. And so we've we've worked with our partners across the country, other state education agencies and education organizations and nonprofits out there that are, um, this is their, you know, trying to advance this, this issue to come up with a common way of gathering that data. And so through every school district in the state, they now have a method that they can use to collect common information about who has access, is it, what kind of access is it, right? What technology is used and mm. then how good is it? How good is it for them, right? In their experiences for their learners in their household, mm -hmm. as well as information about the devices their children have access to for learning. Okay. So those that information is being made available. That that way of collecting that information is being made available to not only the five Door County school districts, but the 420 others across the state as well. Mm -hmm. So those school districts can gather that data. We can aggregate that data. And we can put that in a place where and it's secure. It's all secure. This is all done with secure technology and through data privacy agreements that everyone is signing. And we can put that information in a place that then from the provider side, we also sign similar agreements with them where those school districts can then say, hey, you know what? Here's some places that need access. And furthermore, with the benefit of some of the CARES money, if they wish, they can actually help work with a vendor, a provider to actually connect some of those households if that's needed. Okay. Um, and so we've got better data coming now. 
And, and we'll be able to do that. You know, it represents what kids in K-12 households with kids in K-12 is uh, maybe one out of every five households across the state. Mm -hmm. But, and that's not, that's not everybody, but it's a good start to help us understand better where, where service is and where it isn't. Right. That's one piece of data we're going to do. Okay. The other piece is. And just to be clear, just to be clear here, that's within the Department of Public Instruction, right? So that's not part of the task force? No, that is not part of the task. Okay. That is part of what the DPI is doing. And then we'll be sharing that kind of information, the concept of what we're doing. Sure. We will be sharing with the task force so they know what the possibilities are for other ways of collecting data from other places. Okay. So we're just giving them one example. So they may be able doing. they may be able to replicate that model then for other, you know, for businesses, say, or yeah. um, just residents yeah. even. Okay. Yeah. Right. So the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, right? They mm-hmm. may want to do something similar for businesses. Okay. Um, um, and then the other the other piece of data, Deborah, that we're we're really feeling is important, and this is kind of tied to the other one in that we're asking folks to tell us, do you have access or don't you? Right. We're asking them to tell their school districts that. Mm-hmm. There also is a question about the, you know, is it is it reliable or does it is it inconsistent? Um, mm-hmm. And so. That inconsistent thing is is really important. Um, and that, like I mentioned, um, while we were visiting, right, recently, mm-hmm. it, it was not available in the morning when I woke up and <laughs> tried to connect on my meetings for the, for the day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it eventually came back up, but it wasn't there. Right. And so one of the things that we're, we're talking about doing um, and working on, uh, actively working on right now, is a, a way to do a uniform speed test campaign across the school districts. And then we'll also ask the libraries to participate too in their communities. Hmm. And and that would be a way for kids who have, you know, devices um, that are issued by their school district to just automatically capture some of that information securely, mm-hmm. no personal information at all. It's just the device number, the uh, locate geolocation and the speed of the, the data. Um, and then to be able to use that database again as another resource that we can d- help determine not only do you have access, but also what's the quality of that access? Mm-hmm. Because that's part of the issue is can you get by on 25 megabit download speeds and three up? You probably can mm-hmm. if you really have 25 megabit download speeds and three megabit up. So we've got to just, we got to create some data quality around this to really make better decisions around our investments. And, you know, I mean, we make we make investment uh, accountability decisions in schools, right? School mm-hmm. districts have responsibilities and we are we publish report cards on schools and school districts. If we're making public investments of any sort, I believe there is a need in some way to make sure we're we're getting what we're at, what we're investing in. And I think these are the kinds of things, these metrics are the kind of metrics that can help us assure that we're we're getting there. And frankly, Providers want to deliver on that too. That they have told me time and time again, they want to make sure that when there's a when there's an investment being made, that folks are assured that they're getting what they're paying for. So. Okay, and that is another important component because the data collection that you're talking about right now would be from users. So obviously, Correct. yeah, the providers uh, would they not be able to provide all of this data more easily or more readily? Well. I- you know, I will say this, and I and I understand um, some of the business, you know, of providing service, and mm-hmm. that is 
it is a competitive marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I understand that some of their customer information is proprietary and it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, but I do think that you, you, we've seen demonstrated again in Wisconsin and else place, other places that if you're provided the assurance of, of, uh, that you will keep information protected, but for, but use it for, like I said earlier, this, this idea of here's some households that have children in them, but they can't get access, they need access, or they can't afford it, they are more than willing to provide information back to help close that loop as long as we keep you know, an assurance that it's being protected and private. And okay. we, we respect that. And so it so, first needs to be identified before they will say, okay, this is what we show that we have in this area. And, and also to everybody needs to be able to say, we'll protect that information and not make it publicly available. And I get that. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like I said, we're not, we're not making any personally identifiable information available publicly. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, and nor do they want their, their customer information made publicly available. I, I, I respect that. Mm-hmm. So I think there are ways to work together honoring and respecting each other's needs to accomplish this data issue. Um, and mm-hmm. I, and I'm, I'm quite confident we can do it. Okay. Now we have a number of different types of um, service up here in Dora County, for example, um, satellite, uh, towers, uh, cable, and, you know, people use a, a mixture of all of those things in order to be able to get, you know, their needs met in terms of broadband access. Are What are some of the um, creative solutions that you've seen or, or as you've looked at this issue for schools and libraries, or even as part of the task force, though it's probably kind of early yet for that, but what are some of the creative solutions that um, you see developing out of the task force? I think part of your question has to do with the, the variation in technology. Yes. And I think what everyone is striving for is the ultimate um, technology is a fiber connection, right? Mm-hmm. And because fiber is virtually limitless in terms of it, there is no ceiling to it, if you if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, the capacity for fiber to carry vast uh, amounts of data is is just like I said, it's essentially limitless. When you have fiber, the only thing you need to do is basically upgrade the electronic equipment on each end of that fiber uh, that fiber connection occasionally to accommodate the increasing um, uh, volume of data that might be coming through. Hmm. So ultimately, the answer is always fiber. Um, Mm -hmm. That's what you're, that's your, that's the standard we're trying to achieve. Now, that said, fiber can be a challenge in certain locations. Um, One is just the sparsely rural populated areas, right? Hmm. When you have longer distances, obviously you have to, it, it requires more product in the form of fiber and conduit to get someplace. Mm-hmm. And so it, the cost per mile obviously increases when you have fewer customers on that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's one of the issues, one of the downsides of fiber. However, we have seen that in rural parts of the state and in other parts of the country, they have figured out how to do that by overcoming some of the financial barriers to installing fiber. And so part of the issue is, has to be framed as a financial problem mm-hmm. with, a, with an inadequate return on investment that typical private commercial lending might 
be looking for, or for that matter, shareholders in a, in a privately held company, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not bad. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just reality, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that is the way the market works, and that's good. I'm glad the market works the way it works. It should because it creates efficiencies all up and down the line. Unfortunately, it creates problems at some end of the at some parts of the market in terms of the return on investment being too long for some of those investments. So, so then it's a financial problem and so we have to turn our attention to that. But before I talk about that, I want to just say a little bit more about technology. So, can I just jump the in there that, quickly, Kurt? Just ask a question about yeah. that. Okay? So, you're uh, if is there a public model available? Um now this might sound like a naive question, but we all have electricity. We all, most of us have sanitary sewer systems, water systems. We know that those are public uh, infrastructures, but is there a public model where a municipality could actually do its own broadband and wire all of its uh, streets? Yes, there is. And that does actually happen in some communities in Wisconsin already. One of the, one of the folks on the the task force, in fact, is from the Reeds, the city of Reedsburg and their oh. municipal utility. Okay. And they do run this. Hmm. So um, as a follow up, you know, you may want to chat with him. I well. will. Definitely. I, I will say this. Um, there are, however, statutory uh, requirements that might make it a little more difficult these days to, to actually go down that path. Not hmm. impossible, but there are it makes it a little more challenging. Mm-hmm. That said, that said. You know, there's there's a, a completely private, there's a completely public, and then there, I think in between there's a whole bunch of other ideas, hmm. and those are the ones that I'm kind of hoping um, get a little more traction in the the conversation. So if you look to um, even and they're in Wisconsin too, but in Minnesota there were several of these kinds of projects that were a combined public-private partnership where hmm. they invested some long-term capital investments from the public side that were matched with private commercial kinds of um, investments. And together, that brought down the ROI Hmm. to make those things much more feasible uh, financially. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of things that we're looking looking at trying to do. Even the broadband expansion grants from the Public Service Commission favor those kinds of models, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're looking for matches from both the public and the private side. Mm -hmm. So 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 those are out there and and those need to be explored. Um, you know, we bond for sewage treatment plants, right? We bond for fire stations. We bond even for a lot of like transportation needs. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to think about these longer term investments for the 30, 40, 50 year horizons that they really are capable of delivering over. Mm-hmm. And with that mindset, amateurizing those costs over those kinds of horizons make these investments much more palatable, okay. uh, much more feasible. Um, is, but that's something we can get to, you know, it, it's part of the conversation, but it's not necessarily the very first thing that you have to do, but you got to start thinking about that. Okay. Is that, I thought I read in Wisconsin statute that uh, municipalities are able to bond for um, broadband technologies, but they... Um, they can't actually collect taxes, which is, of course, what you're promising that you can do in order to be able to pay the debt on bonding. So is that the kind of statute that would prevent municipalities from being able to move forward with something like this? Well, perhaps, or um, in combination with a public-private partnership, you mm-hmm. might find a provider who's willing to invest 
in the operational side of the business. Hmm. Um, I, you know, I, you know, I look at, um, you know, the township that we own property in. And hmm. I, I think to myself, oh, it was lovely being able to participate in the town board meetings and the planning commission meetings virtually. We were able to literally participate in civic government in our own township mm-hmm. um, this summer because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And they're really smart people mm-hmm. <laughs> who are really trying to figure problems out up there mm-hmm. and doing a heck of a good job doing it. Mm-hmm. The question becomes is in a township the size of Bailey's Harbor or Liberty Grove or Sevastopol or, or Jackson Ford or anything like that, do they have the capacity to run an internet pro- uh, service? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I really, I am not weighing in with my judgment about that. I'm just saying it's sure. a legitimate question to ask. And then is it a legitimate idea to enter into some sort of a, 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 a partnership arrangement, a long-term partnership perhaps, where the operational uh, needs of that kind of operation, uh, that kind of business, are actually handled uh, by a private provider. Okay, it's 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 feasible, I would think. It's it's I've seen it done in other places. So um, so anyway, that's that's something that should be one of those things that's pursued as well. Right. So we could probably talk about this. Um, I'm thinking for a very long time, Kurt. <laughs> so I want to be respectful yeah, of your time. Um, but just sure. to jump back quickly to the task force, then um, have you guys met yet? Yeah, the task force met for the first time this past Wednesday morning. Governor Evers kicked us off. Okay. Um, so we we certainly got the charge directly. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we are responsible for generating recommendations um, uh, for both the governor and the legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, we are charged with doing that by June thirtieth. However, we hope to be able to um, uh, address some issues as quickly as we possibly can. Too, uh, the chair of the group is uh, Brittany Beyer. Mm-hmm. Um, from uh, the northern region um, of Wisconsin, uh, who uh, she leads the economic development function there, and um, it, it, it and uh, she's going to do a great job. She's going to do a fantastic job uh, based on my interaction with her um, and also with the uh, you know the first meeting. Uh, we spent a good deal of time just getting to know each other, taking stock uh, of the perspectives we have and the experiences we have. It is an incredibly um, diverse array of, of insights and experiences. Mm. Um, and I think that's going to create the richness that we need in order to come up with some really good information that'll help us move, move ideas forward. Okay. So how, excited about the first thing. How often will you be meeting? Um, we've got three other meetings scheduled. Okay. So there are, will be four meetings total. Um, and I'm led to believe that we'll be meeting, um, probably on in between those things on different kinds of topics that those of us um, who want to work on certain things will be able to do that. That's, that, that's my assumption. Um, I don't have that in stone, but uh, that's uh, the nature of the conversation on, on Wednesday led, led me to believe that. Yep. Okay. So I think that sometimes some members of the public have a kind of a task force fatigue and thinking that, you know, task forces convene, but, you know, they meet and they, you know, bat things around, but there's nothing really that ever comes from them. Given how important this issue is, I would, I would say to everybody in Wisconsin, um, what are, how optimistic are you that there's actually going to be something that arises from this that will create some concrete changes and solve some concrete issues within Wisconsin? I think it's 
I think it's highly likely that some concrete changes will occur. You know, um, the governor's own words uh, when he kicked us off were, this is about coming up with action. This mm-hmm. is about coming up with good ideas that we can implement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about giving him information that he can use as they craft a budget uh, for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was re- reinforced and echoed, I would say, by the four legislative participants on the task force, um, that they uh, they too are, are wanting to see action. And these are folks who certainly represent rural parts of the state um, mm-hmm. where we know much of the access problem continues to, to, ex- uh, to exist. The other thing I would point out is that previous task forces, there was a rural broadband task force that the assembly had put together a few years back. That led to some things that made a difference, okay. including um, some of the work around the expansion grants. Those were um, those were 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 part of that. There were some investments made in virtual education uh, Hmm. that came out of that that have been incredibly helpful from a K-12 perspective. Hmm. So there are things that can happen as a result of these task force. And I do believe that this topic holds the potential for being the one bipartisan topic Hmm. that everybody can can um, can gather around and say, yep, we've got to do this. Let's get this done. So I I hold out enormous hope that this is this is it. This that, is the time we're going to do this. That's a very good point. You probably have put your finger on the only bipartisan issue that we might be able to come up with together, right? So, um, is there anything else, Kurt, that you were interested in talking about pertaining to the task force or broadband um, in no. general? Yeah, I think I think the thing I would say um, just to kind of sum it up is, you know, while while we know knew that this problem existed before, uh, we know more than ever that it, it's truly vital. Um, and and we know that um, the quality of of life is so much enriched by having access to these information resources mm. and um, in, in so many different ways, whether it's education uh, our businesses, um, our own health, um, you know, the, 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 the consumer information that we, that we have to, that we have to have access to, um, just to be engaged and, and engaged citizens. Um, it is more vital than ever to have access mm-hmm. and that inequity has to, has to stop. And this is a technology problem when it comes to equity and there are solutions. It is just having Act, you know, we need to know what those solutions are, make mm-hmm. people aware of them, help them, empower them to do it, and then back them up with the resources that are needed to get it done. Mm-hmm. It can be done. We know we can, it can be done. Well, that's great news. I am very happy to hear that. Being one of those people who had to uh, try and get access below the bluff um, in Dora County, which was... That's what I was told. Yeah, that's it was, what I was told. really incredibly difficult. And so we were able to get satellite service. Um, we could have built a tower, a private tower, but we really did not want to fund that ourselves. Um, so we were able to get satellite access because we kind of have an open area. So we were fortunate in that regard. A lot of people up here can't even get that because of the tree cover. So we have, um, I would say, good access. It's reliable I don't ever lose it, but it doesn't have a lot of uh, capacity. So that's, you know, the problem on that. And it, it seems almost like you can get one thing, but not the other thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
So, yep. so it's, well, um, we got to get them all right. Right. Exactly. So hopefully this will be the way to do it. And that's why I was very excited, uh, when I learned that the task force was forming, um, and, yeah. ac- you know, and actually in a way, maybe the pandemic has, um, this is a silver lining in the pandemic that it has right. made it very apparent to telemedicine, to schools, to businesses. You know, everybody knows how vital this right. is. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.